0: You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go.
1: What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle alongside Eagle Sports editor Robert Cessna. I wouldn't say it's a big game. I wouldn't even say it's really a, a medium-sized game this weekend. a plays Mississippi State. It's uh, not really for anything. Both teams don't have a shot at the SEC title game, don't have a shot at the upper echelon of postseason play. Cease, what is there to play for this weekend?
2: You know, it seems so hollow when we're out there talking to players on Monday, and I know Jimbo even said it after the loss to Ole Miss. They have to get bowl eligible. And, you know, it's been a while since the program was really worrying about bowl eligibility. That was just seemed like a given, even under Sumlin, People could complain, oh, go on to the Liberty Bowl, 8-5, and five, uh, Texas Bowl. Can you win that game? Whatever. But, unfortunately, that's where AM is, and I'm with you. I get no vibe for this game as a writer, and I think writers are no different than the fans. You look at the schedule, you know, hey, well, we're excited to go to Oxford. You know, it's going to be a good setting. Uh, we didn't even get to go to the Grove, and it was still a good game to watch. And you think driving home – Mississippi State, a really average Mississippi State. I'm going to call them bad because I've done enough research now. They, 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 can, they can hold their own, and that's kind of like where A&M is, uh, holding their own. But, man, I, I just don't get a vibe like, vibe like okay, they can be bowl eligible going into a nothing game, knowing LSU is ahead. I, I, I kind of sympathize with Fisher and the players because I think – I also reflect the general populace that's not too excited right now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just – there's not excitement.
1: This feels as much – I mean, you know, next week is the ACU game, but in all intents and purposes, this feels like it could be the the end-of-the-year cupcake kind of game where who knows what the – you know, this is the the game that if you're a season ticket holders, you might give it to your friends down the street (laughs) who didn't get to go to a game this year. So – all, all that said, uh, there there is a game to be played. There's still X's and O's on the field, and one of the biggest kind of question marks is we know that Max Johnson has gotten beat up, and there is a chance that he might not be available to play, even though Jimbo Fisher has said twice now that he is practicing, he, he expects him to be able to play. Um, he was asked about his history with... Quarterback injuries, especially over the last three years when you have Haynes King going out against Colorado, then Haynes King again and Max Johnson and now Connor Wegman. And and he said, well, yeah, but if you look at all those injuries, barring Connor Wegmans, they happened outside the pocket. They happened while quarterbacks were rolling outside, uh, trying to make plays. It doesn't have anything to do with the offensive line. But on the converse, you look, and according to Pro Football Focus over the last two years, a has allowed the most quarterback hits of any team in the country. Do you buy that nothing needs to change on the offensive line to, to help protect the quarterbacks a little bit more?
2: I don't buy that things shouldn't happen. I will agree with Jimbo that they've been kind of fluky injuries. I go back to the Colorado game when we watch Haynes King go down and go, like, nothing happened in that play. But I also believe there is that mental deal about this line is not a good line. So mental illnesses kind of wear on you. It's much like I don't care what your business is. Here at the Eagle, it's sometimes if you make mistakes, then suddenly you become more conscious of it. And I always seem to make more mistakes when that happens. I can remember when we had a correction of a correction in the Eagle. You know, sometimes... (laughs) And so, while I'm buying that those are flukish injuries, why do they happen to a And M and they don't happen to other other teams, so to speak? And I do believe if you're a quarterback at a And M in the last ever since Mond and Mond was a tough son of a gun, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, he, you know, a lot of people looking back, uh, I mean, maybe he would have missed some games. But I'm thinking, if you're a quarterback at A&M the last few years, I, I think you're, you're carrying some mental baggage, and, and sometimes that can lead to a bad twist. That can be at the wrong place. And I'm a firm believer in a conspiracy guy and a karma theory. That offense line has to get better. Mm-hmm. And I think you know if Wegman's watching the sidelines, he's probably saying sometimes when Johnson gets hits and he grimaces on the line and at the
1: sidelines, and says, "Man, that could have been me." Yeah, and I, I do think there's a compound effect. I mean, if you're getting hit 33 times in a season, like something's going to give, even if it's not, it went exactly, I don't know, play right in the middle of the pocket where it was an offensive line failure. Those things can compound. Hits can compound. I mean, talk about the declined value of the running back in the NFL and in the NFL draft just because hits compound. And I think that there is something to that when you look at where a ms quarterback situation has been the last couple of years.
2: Well, because suddenly, whether it's your foot, whether it's your rib or whatever, and you get banged up a little bit, you play through injuries. I get it. But then you get banged in the same foot again or the same rib again, and suddenly it's even more tender. Or the next time you crack it or you break it because you're getting – and maybe there's nobody around you when you fall down and hit your ankle or your rib, but you've been hitting that so many times before – that it only lasts so many times. And so it's it's not a good situation where A AM's in right now. Last week we saw the offensive line played pretty well, but Johnson still took some huge hits just as he left go with the ball. And you gotta ask, I don't know who the quarterback's gonna be for either team today, tomorrow on Saturday. Right. And so I think that's gonna be a big part of the game because uh, Mississippi State's definitely different if Will Rogers plays. And if A&M has to play Jaden Henderson, who I didn't even remember carrying the ball once against South Carolina or whatever, which he did, but man, uh, it becomes a much different game
1: no matter who the quarterback is. You know, uh, Chip Howard made a good point. I feel kind of gross, you know, saying that on, on, on the air, but, uh, joking chip was we talking to him yesterday of the fact that you have a mississippi state team that had such a strong identity under mike leach of this the air raid offense and the ability to uh whip the ball around and even if they didn't win a lot of games they put up a lot of points and they have a quarterback who knows that system like the back of his hand it's kind of surprising that they didn't try to keep that identity when there was this rapid Turnover because of uh, the death of Mike Leach. Oh, I'm
2: shocked because I mean, you think about uh, Mississippi State when they came in here last year and what Rodgers did the last two years. I think in three years at AM, he's basically passed for 900 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, and been sacked three times. I mean, you talk about a system to beat AM. Mike Leach had it and he had it at Texas Tech too. And I thought, oh, great, they're promoting their offensive coordinator. He's going to handle the defense. They'll get somebody else to run the same kind of offense they did, and they haven't. I mean, I think in four of his five – either four of his five or five of Rogers' six starts, he threw less than 30 passes. That's Mm -hmm. just not – making use of the people you have. And I don't want to rip the guy, but the numbers speak for themselves. They're one in five. And they've got some decent defensive numbers. And I'm thinking like, man, why didn't you stick with what worked on offense? And I'm perplexed. And I actually blame – the powers that be at Mississippi State and the AD, because when they got Chris, uh, all, all the whatever, Arnett, Arnett together and to said, hey, look, you're not changing the offense. We're sticking with this. You can do anything you want to in offense. I mean, defense, if you're going to run the ball a little bit more, yes, but we're going to stay an air raid offense. So I was shocked at what happened.
1: You, you mentioned they, they do have some pieces on defense. Nathaniel Watson is mm-hmm. first in the conference in sacks. He's right ahead of uh, uh, Edring Cooper for a You have Jet Johnson, uh, who is first in the conference in total tackles. But all that said, they're still not a top 100 total defense. Uh, I, I I don't – to me, looking at this game – It's either it's going to be ugly in in one of two ways. A&M blows them out, or A&M and Mississippi State get into a rock fight, and and kind of like what that Arkansas uh, Mississippi State was earlier in this year. I I don't expect. I I, to me it goes one of two ways. Do you see it going either of those two ways? I think it's going to be
2: either or because you would think the Auburn first half how ugly it was out here. I think a if if uh, Max Johnson doesn't play or is severely handicapped, then I think this game could get real ugly. And let's not forget that uh, last week uh, Evan Stewart didn't play as well, and they did, had a couple cornerbacks playing. So you might want to keep some people even healthier this week. When you got ACU next week, that you got a sure win to get that uh, six ball game, but yet you can't lose this game because they have two ain't it is in a precarious situation? I think it all starts with Johnson. If Johnson is 80 to 85% and Rogers doesn't play, this is a blowout. Mm -hmm. But if Rogers plays, you know, I think he loves playing here. I think he pays well against the Aggies. He's had a few weeks off. I think they can be competitive. But then if, You know, if Rodgers plays and Johnson doesn't play, then I think you could be into a rock fight because then I think Mississippi State would get very conservative knowing they have the edge at quarterback, want to keep him upright. So it's been a while since I had a game when I'm working on our pregame stuff. It's hard to say what's going to happen because both teams rely so much on their
1: quarterback, and both quarterbacks, to me, are questionable. Yeah. Uh, So... We talked a little bit about what this game uh, is is to play for, but but what does this game mean moving forward? I mean, I think A and M is supposed to win. I know A and M is supposed to win it, and if you win the game, it's like, well, you won the game that you're supposed to win. But if somehow they don't manage to win this game, then you're looking at yeah, you're probably going to get bowl eligible with ACU, but then it's just a a, a seven seven wins six seven win season if you happen to be have a chance to beat LSU. Otherwise, you're right at six wins. What, where, where, what what happens if they don't win this game?
2: Well, just more negativity under yeah. Jimbo Fisher in the regime right now. A lot of people around town and round round the nation, if you're an Nagy, not very happy right now. This is what they signed on for. And uh, Jimbo's trying to paint a g- good picture. I mean, his kids are still playing hard, what have you. They could have won last week. We've seen several times they could have had, quote, the season-changing or the program-changing victory, but they haven't had it. And now the losses would keep – if you lose to Mississippi State, a 19-and-a-half point favorite when I look before, you know, early to this morning, it'll be the most they've been favored this year because I think uh, South Carolina went to 18 or 18-and-a-half at kickoff, and they didn't play well in that game, not as well as they should have considered where South Carolina was. So, once again, is talking about style points, but people do pay attention to that. So, a and playing at home. So, if they don't win by three touchdowns. Now, if they jump out to a four or five touchdown lead and call off the dogs and Mississippi State came back and let's say got within 18, 17 and a half at the end of the game. Okay, that's fine. They took care of business. But they haven't taken care of business in so long. When you see what they do in the second halves, they had a bad start against Ole Miss. That game almost was 21-0. There's just a lot of pressure on this program outside. And Jimbo knows it's there. You can tell by how he answers. Now, maybe the players are a little bit more of a vacuum out at the Bright Complex. But a loss – would be devastating. I'm going to equate it to, you know, it's like lynch mobs back in the old days in the West. You know, everybody's saying, hey, let's stay cool, let's see what happens. But suddenly, if this team doesn't go eight and five or seven and six and went six and seven or something like that, then I think Chicken Little would say, hey, I think the sky is falling. What we can need to do so that. I don't think Jimbo Fisher has a lot of wiggle room when it comes to popularity and the way people uh, feel about him right now. He can't continue to lose points because, uh, you know, Biden's in, for example, the whole way to 2024. Jimbo's got a contract, but there's no guarantee that he, they have to bring him back. If things really go poorly, I think people can find $80 million because everybody has a breaking point. And people are going to say, if Sessa doesn't shut up, I'm getting off this podcast and watch somebody else. But everything has a breaking point. And if you're Jimbo, you don't want to flirt with it. You want to come out and take care of business and say, hey, we won, we did this. You want to be Jimbo Fisher and the players feeling good about themselves on Saturday night. If they struggle
1: or, God forbid, would lose, it wouldn't be a happy Aggie land this weekend. To me, what I'm looking for in this game is – A&M to put together two complete halves Uh, and and not two perfect halves but two halves that it doesn't look like night and day different teams like it was uh, at against Miami like it was at Ole Miss um, where the second half they was the best the offensive line probably maybe the best the offense looked all season but that first half looked like maybe it was maybe the one of the worst first halves of the season I want to see them a consistency that carries over between the two halves because if they do manage to blow blow out a win and we're trying to sit back and say well what do you what did what did we learn from this game what do we take from this game I think the thing that I will that that will give me the thought that that this thing could be on the up and up is if they play two consistent halves what are some of the the keys what are you looking for uh, in, in this game besides uh, if a and can just win the ball game
2: Oh, you, you hit on it because A&M has these, what I call these lulls I call them these three drive lulls where they have a trio of three and outs in a row or maybe one first down and you sit there and you're scratching your head because you don't like the play calling, the line doesn't play well the pat, or receiver will drop a pass or not do it and then suddenly they score like three or four touchdowns like they did last week against Ole Miss, but that didn't do that at the first. Then we see at Auburn they did that. They come out, three three drives, don't do anything. In the second half, then they open up with two back-to-back drives, look like a, a championship-type team and you're right it's too late in the season you know who your linemen are you know who your running backs are so and sometimes it can be play calling so you're right it's very important you want to see like the the four quarters be like 7 10 10 7 or 10 6 12 13 you want to see some consistency not 0 14 14-0, and the game's still in line. Now, trust me, if like I said, if they're up 42-7 and call the dogs off and have a zero in the fourth quarter, but you're absolutely right. And that doesn't, to me, do anything individual. It's just a collective group because we saw last week the offense shows up, the defense is out the lunch. They got a chance to win the game, and the defense, in the last three games, the defense was there, and the offense was out the lunch. Mm-hmm. So, guys, let's get some cohesiveness in the special teams. How about a special teams where there's not a gaffe? I mean, I just looked up. AM leads the nation in uh, kicks allowed. Mm. You know they've allowed five. You think of the blocked field goal, uh, the blocked uh, you know f- f- field goals and things like that. They've allowed the most blocked kicks. Not good when there's 130 teams and you're the worst. So you you touched on it, Travis the consistency. We just haven't seen that, and and they're not playing a great team. And I don't want to belittle Mississippi State because I think they can be a thorn in your side. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to see them be a
1: thorn in A&M side for three possessions in a row. Sure thing. Let's uh, let's go a little bit no huddle here because there's some other things going around. Aggie as mm. far as athletics go. Well, we'll touch a quick first. we have te- the uh, soccer team tomorrow on Friday. First round of the NCAA tournament. They were an eight seed. They're hosting Colorado. That was totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. They. I don't. I think there was some thought within the program and from those who know college soccer, that there was a chance they might not even make the tournament, let alone all of a sudden be seated and and hosting a tournament. So they got some great benefit of the doubt with some of the strength of scheduling they had. Uh, So interesting to see how they progress. If they win, though, they'll go and play number one Florida State, who they already lost to this year. And uh, that could be an an interesting, uh, tough second-round matchup because that is a, a tough, tough Florida State team. Uh, we've talked a little men's basketball. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But first, uh, just a quick tidbit on what's to come for uh, women's basketball as I believe they open up their season tonight uh, at home at Reed Arena. they yeah. are
2: recording on Thursday. A lot of uh, a lot of changes. They brought in four transfers. I expect two of them to be in the top five or top six. Uh, I'm bad about names. AC, they call her that name, uh, a truly long name from Auburn. She was mm-hmm. two-time All-SEC. Uh, they brought in another player that was at USC and Oregon, also an All-Pac-12 player. So when you bring in two potential starters along with Jenea Barker, uh, who still remains probably one of the best talents a and a- ever signs. It's only a sophomore, and she was hurt a lot last year. So I think you're going to see a uh, flip from a 9-20 and 20 team to a 20-9 and 9 team this year. I think you're going to see a team possibly have a chance to get to the Sweet 16 like the men's. So hoops are going to pick it up here real quick. Great crowd for the men on, on on deal. Maybe the women won't get that kind of support, but I think eventually they could get better support just because they look prepared, ready to win. And, and so it's nice to have something to fall back on when the football season hasn't lived up to expectations. So I think Reed Arena could be a busy place the next few months.
1: Yeah, Joni Taylor uh, came in last year. Not a lot to know um, about her as in regards to how this this program will will shape up. But having covered her for a season now, what – what is different from those who might have just followed the team through the Gary Blair era, and what has she brought to the program? How is it different, and how has it been different for in a year in?
2: I think a lot of it's the same. She's really good X's and O's coach. That's why she's able to beat Gary a couple times. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. didn't get the best of Gary, and she did that at Georgia a few times. Great. Uh, she's a. Everybody says they're a players' coach. But she has that ability, to me, to be their friend, but yet be a very strict disciplinarian, and they're going to do it her way. And I think finally she's got – you know, last year they played seven games with seven players. I mean, that's all they had. They had seven healthy players. So uh, she's really good – great recruiter, because all you got to tell is uh, we live in the time of portal, and you can go out and get two all-conference players to transfer into a 9-and-20 team. Uh, What do you think she's going to be able to do when she's 20-9, and whether it's recruiting high schools or recruiting, uh, you know, college players? And I think what we're seeing is all guys get back to the top. Jamie Morris, I think we're going to see that in in volleyball as well once he gets another year. Well, Joni's had that year. So I think you can make plans for the NCAA tournament. Maybe A&M will even be good enough. To host. I don't want to get too far ahead, but nothing beats having people who were successful and going out in the field. So they have three – I know right off the bat three players are just as good as anybody else in the SEC, and that includes South Carolina and, uh, you know, LSU. What they don't do, A&M doesn't know how to win because they lost that even at Gary's last year they didn't win. They didn't know how to win last year. That takes some time. It, that might take a whole season. They might still lose some close games – just because they don't know how.
1: Well, that translates right over into talk about the men's team because it's a team that I think now knows how to win over the last uh, two seasons. And, and the thing that sticks out to me is the fact that, uh, you know, Buzz will talk about how after the Auburn loss two seasons ago is how they kind of went, you know, th- this isn't working. We need to reassess how this is all shaped up, what our philosophy is. And, and when they took that time and did that, That's when they made that push towards the NIT. Last year it was after the Myrtle Beach Invitational early in the season that they said, yeah, what we thought this was isn't going to be let's shuffle some things up, let's shuffle it around, and that's what put them on the run for the rest that got them in the NCAA tournament. It seems like they're going into this season with knowing – their identity a lot earlier i think last year when you look at the shuffle what it came to be is the fact that they knew to make up for some offensive deficiencies that they were going to have to get to the free throw line get fouled and get points from the charity stripe i think that there's some level of that's going to continue on to this team this year um and that they're going to um if Wade Taylor has a an off night from three point range, or they can't get those back baskets driving to the paint, that they are still going to have to get those points from the free throw line. But they know that they already know that now going into the season. Uh, and w- the 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 guys who know how to win, the veterans, are going to help kind of carry that. But it's as challenging of a non conference schedule as we've seen in Aggie Land for a, a really long time. They're they're leaving right now on Thursday to go on the road to. Uh, Ohio uh, a State to play, and even Tyrese Radford said he's excited about the fact that they might actually have the opportunity to notch one of those those precious quad one wins before they even get to conference play. They, they looking if if you translate Ken Palm's rankings over to what could be the net rankings; those come out later. They have a chance for four quad one wins before they even hit conference play, and that would be huge towards. Uh, top seeding so I, I think it is like you said it's a team that does know how to win and uh the expectations are going to be high for them this year
2: well it goes back to is this is a basketball community if you win mm-hmm. the problem is uh under billy kennedy or whatever they didn't win consistently enough they would have a roller coaster effect but this community loves basketball if you win and I think, you know, Buzz is probably in his program ready to take that step. And as you mentioned, when you're playing Memphis, you're playing Houston. So that gets people's attention, even when those some of those games aren't here. Uh, and suddenly, if you're beating those kind of people, and everybody likes that number beside them. So good times for basketball, like I said, Reed arena.
1: And, and for those who don't know how the net and the quadrant, you know, it, it makes. yes, I think most fans would prefer to have – the team around Reed arena and see those games here and you kind of get that home field advantage, but that home field advantage is calculated in to those formulas mm. where it, a quad one win is only a quad one win at home. If they're wi- inside the top, uh what is it like 35 or something like that. And then neutral goes to 40 and then it's top 50, I believe in quad if you're on the road so you get more leeway if you're on the road and that's probably a little bit why buzz williams built the schedule he did is that if you do go on the road and you get those wins you're not if you lose on the road you're not punished quite as much and if you win on the road you still get the benefits of that quad quad one win and you're on the road so there's a little bit of that probably built into it as well but should be a fun one to watch yeah it's all about what
2: can you win in March? And that's mm-hmm. very important. Get high seating, get there. And I think uh, both teams will be having watch parties this year. So we'll see what happens.
1: Sure thing. Well, that's about all the sports we can talk about this week. Uh, be sure to check the Eagle.com as we continue to cover all these things going around Aggieland. Uh, thanks so much for watching this on the Eagle.com. And if you're listening on the My Aggie Nation podcast, up along the break, we have a, a little look at that Mississippi State team from someone who knows. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle, along with Stefan Kreischek of the uh, Clarion Ledger. He covers Mississippi State. That's who Texas A&M plays this week in Kyle Field. Stefan, what's going on, man?
0: Not much, man. I'm excited to get back to, to Texas A&M and College Station. I haven't been there since uh, the last football game in 21. Obviously, a, a great environment, a cool stadium, and uh, real excited to get back there and cover another game.
1: Sure thing. Well, let's start off with the same way we start off all of these, and that's how, what is the biggest storylines for Mississippi State heading into this game?
0: Uh, the quarterback position, no doubt. And I'm sure I'm sure, uh, Texas A&M is probably in a similar spot too with, you know, with Will Rogers and, and his injury and and what his availability looks like on Saturday. Um, you know, Zach Carnett in his press conference on Monday, you know, made some hints that, you know, Rogers making some progress and, and potentially being available for this game. If he's not, what does the quarterback position look like for Mississippi State? Last three weeks without Rogers, it's been Mike Wright obviously hasn't, you know, played that well. And, and, you know, they went one and two in that stretch and he ended up getting benched late in that game against Kentucky in favor of, you know, freshman, Chris Parson, a true freshman coming in and getting a chance to play. If Rogers isn't able to go, you know, you probably see Parson play again on Saturday. You probably see some kind of a two quarterback system. Even if Rogers does play, you probably see a two quarterback system because they have packages in place for Mike Wright and the way he uses his feet and the things he can do at the quarterback position. Um, but specifically, if it is Parson, you're not necessarily going to see Wright as the starter um, like you did against Arkansas and Auburn where, you know, he plays the full game. You're probably going to see uh, some combination of, of usage of Parson and and uh, and Wright. But if you're Mississippi State going into an environment like this against a team like A&M that's going to be hungry for a win and, and you're Mississippi State and you're two wins away from, you know, getting to bowl eligibility with a tough schedule – um you'd really like to have your senior quarterback back a guy who's proven that he can go into an environment like a and m and win um that's definitely the biggest storyline is where is will rogers uh, and how far has he progressed since his injury against uh, western michigan on october 7th
1: sure what how has the offense been for those who haven't watched Mississippi state with uh parsons and Wright? and and what do they bring to the table or what deficiencies has, has the offensive had uh in in those games
0: yeah i think in in those who remember right you know from his days at vanderbilt he runs the ball really well right he, he's a quarterback that is really explosive and can make plays happen with his legs and he's got a strong arm it's really just the accuracy that's been off and, and that's been the case um you know through the three starts that he has the, you know the, the passing attack just isn't where it was uh under rogers uh with mike wright starting in there and there's obvious deficiencies and and limits to what that offense can do i mean they win a game at Arkansas by only scoring seven points. They go to Auburn. They only score 13. They come back and only score three against Kentucky. So those numbers, you know, speak for themselves uh, on what the offense looked like under Mike Wright. You know, Chris Parson case is still out, right? A really talented uh, freshman, a composite four star um, kind of out of the Nashville area. There was a huge piece for, you know, what, what was really Mike Leach's recruiting class. Right. And, and he's a guy that. Uh, Mike Leach thought really highly of um, a guy could do that can do both things has you know a great arm great arm talent and accuracy but also I uh, can escape the pocket a bit better than maybe you've seen Will Rogers the past couple of years so there was a lot of folks that were excited about seeing you know what he looks like at Mississippi State just didn't necessarily expect him to be you know this big of a piece this year right he was you know he, he can still redshirt but that was kind of the plan from from the start was to redshirt him and and ideally not play him unless you're playing him in some garbage time against you know a, a non-conference opponent and they're at a point now where, you know, he's obviously been forced to play. And, and if Will Rogers can't go, he's going to have to play again and, and you know, kind of be thrown into the fire a bit. Um, but but the talent is there for him, right? It's just a matter of, you know, can he get comfortable in this offense? Can he get confident playing in a road environment like that? That's something that, you know, the experience this year will probably help him in the future, um, you know, as a sophomore, junior and whatnot. Um, but right now there's, there's just too many questions to, you know, feel confident about what he can do just because he's a true freshman. We haven't seen it yet.
1: It seems like forever ago, but this was the offseason that college football lost Mike Leach. And of course, so did Mississippi State football for A&M fans who knew a lot about that story because of how always tied in Mike Leach was with the state of Texas. And and, he always had something to say
0: say going into this matchup.
1: (laughs) Right. right. Always something about Kyle Fielder, the military school that A&M was. Uh, Mm -hmm. How is this program different? How is the the school different? Uh, Having moved on from From Mike Leach yeah I think
0: the biggest thing is you don't have a presence as a head football coach of someone who's been there done that before right like he came in year one at Mississippi State he came in in 2020 so he didn't really have much of an offseason to kind of implement what he wanted to implement because of COVID and they struggled that first year but you knew based on his track record uh, at Texas Tech at Washington State. That over time, once he got his players in, once he got his system implemented, the teams would have success. And you saw that in 2021 and 22 with them, right? Mississippi State kept taking steps forward, winning more games, you know, beating teams like Arkansas, Texas A&M, you know, pretty frequently, not frequently, but, you know, in those consecutive years there, um, you saw steps of that success. And now you're kind of at a point where you're restarting with a coach who's not been in those shoes before. First time head coach in Zach Carnett, you really don't know what the identity of the program is at this point. We don't really know what this offense is trying to do at times the defense has holes that you know we, we didn't expect coming into this year with how many players they're returning there's just so many questions that when you have a head coach who's been there and done that before it's, it's easy to answer right because he's been in those spots before Carnett hasn't been in a situation like this before where you know a team is struggling early on he's got to help them you know be the head coach that, that kind of turns the corner mid-season and that's definitely the biggest thing you don't have that presence of a guy who's been in those shoes before and that's kind of where the questions start to loom for Zach Garnett, this off season of, you know, if you're an outsider looking at this, you're saying, all right, like first time head coach, you know, young head coach, it's his first season. you know, you give him a chance next year. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of people around Starkville that are looking at this, saying, well, Zach Garnett's not proven that, you know, from year one to year two, his teams can make a jump because he's never been in this spot before. Can Mississippi state afford to take that risk to wait, to see what he can do when you look at the conference next year and and what you're adding in Oklahoma and Texas and and the veterans that this team is going to lose. There's, it's a lot of change going on from from this year to next year is that kind of the guy you trust to do that so that's definitely the biggest thing you you don't have a guy who's you know been coaching at this level before um to kind of give you that program identity right now and, and i think that's what's been lacking um you know at least these last couple of months during the season
1: i know there's instances when programs aren't performing like they want to a- a&m is an example of that where the fan base isn't necessarily happy and and are are uh voicing their opinions on any outlet they can. It's a very unique situation that Mississippi State is in this year with a head coach passing while in in office per se. Um what is the how is the fan base grappling with this season because it's a extremely unique one.
0: Yeah, it I mean there's definitely some frustrations, right? And I think for the most part fans look back on you know December when Leach passed and, and they decided to promote Arnett as it, it was still the right move, right? I mean, you, you were in an impossible spot, right? A, a spot that you know programs are never put into uh, of having you know while you're getting ready for bowl preps and, and you're 10 days away from the opening of the early signing period and you're confident about the direction of your program to have something like that happen. Mississippi State, and keep in mind, they also didn't have a permanent athletic director hired because John Cohen had left for Auburn. That an interim athletic director the head football coach that just passed away about 10 days before the opening of the early signing period. That That's an impossible situation. The only thing Mississippi state could do there was promote Zach as much of the staff together as they can try to keep as many players in places as they have. And they succeeded in doing that, right? They they secured the signing class. They got back guys like Will Rogers and Nathaniel Watson and, and jet Johnson. They were able to retain everything. So you look back on December, they did the right thing. Right. And I don't think that's what fans are upset about, but the product on the field just hasn't been in, right? The Like I said earlier, offense and defense, frankly, special teams too. There's just so many questions, things that you're watching. You're just like, how how does this happen for an SEC school that won nine games last year? Where, where did this drop-off happen? At some point, you pin it back on the coaching staff, and they have to take the blame for that. And I think that's where most of the fans are right now. Is they don't know where to put their blame. Who how, how does this happen from a team that looked so good last year, got so many players back to have this drop-off? The, the blame goes to the coaches and that's where you kind of have your doubts about what Zach Barnett can do as a head coach because he's, he's proven as a defensive coordinator. And Frankly, if Mississippi state moves on from him, he's going to get a decent head, uh, defensive coordinator job, if not, you know, a, a smaller head coaching job, I'm sure. Um, but, but that's the thing is you just don't have a guy who, who's you know proven that, that to, to give fans confidence um, to move on from this year. And at the same time too, this was supposed to be, and as good as last year was, this was supposed to be a big year for Mississippi state because when you look at what state you know does in, in terms of their competition, in the SEC, they don't recruit at a level to be an LSU in Alabama, Georgia to, to win every year, right? But if they can keep players in place and hold players from transferring, their program that it kind of comes in cycles where you have, you know, a, a young class you believe in, they grow. And, and that's what it was in 2020. You know, you had Will Rogers and some young players. They knew if they stayed at Mississippi State and they grew, you get that over time. Now you're at that point of the cycle where this year was supposed to be where a lot of those veteran players are back and they've proven they could win before you take that next step and you compete you know for a, a new year six or, or just say in the top 25 as they did last year um you're just not getting that and I think that's where state fans are looking at this saying you you know if you're going to lose a ton of players and rely on some young players these next couple of years it could be a tough next couple seasons too how, how do you you know it's tough to think about that when you're also having a bad season this year, right? And that's, I think, the big thing for me right now is this was supposed to be that year in the cycle where Mississippi State you know, really delivered, and they haven't. And now you're in a tough spot with all the
1: changes coming into the conference of where do you go from here moving forward. Sure. Uh, real quick, focusing back on uh, Mississippi State's defense heading into this game, Anytime, you know, I was watching Mississippi State defense, it always is about that defensive front and, and the, the big guys up front. What's the hallmark's? Of of this defense and especially against an AM offense that has been inconsistent at best through the season, and maybe some question marks about who's going to be available for quarterback as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, this defense at the start of the year was pretty rough and now has kind of become a bit inconsistent, which is, I guess, better than where they were. But they had a good outing against you know, Arkansas to the point where Arkansas fired Danny Unis the next day. They come back, they have a really bad first half against Auburn, but really good second half, and that's a bad Auburn offense. And then you know, all things considered, they played pretty well against Kentucky. You know, they gave 24 to 3 was the final. There was a pick six in there. So only gave up 17 points. They played well, you know, against that Kentucky team. So I, I think it's a defense that's starting to get better as the season has progressed. Um, and, and it really starts, you know, with with the linebackers. And and it's it's funny because, like you mentioned, the defensive line is what I missed mean, you. look at Jeffrey Simmons, Chris Jones, you guys like that that have come through the, the program. Uh, Chicago Bears legend Montez Sweat I got a name Um, they, they've had guys that have come through and, and had they just haven't had that at the defensive line this year and, and they've had to rely a lot on their linebackers to to bring you know design pressure and, and Nathaniel Watson I think as of right now leads the SEC in sacks he's a guy that's delivered Jet Johnson you know is going to be uh, if not number one the number two in tackles every year in the SEC the, the past couple of years as well as this year so they know what they got at linebacker and that's kind of been the core of this defense, no doubt, because without those linebackers, they're not getting a lot of pressure up front with, you know, just the, the players lined up along the defensive line. And in the secondary, you know, they lose four of the five starters that they were trying to replace. So this defense goes as Jet Johnson and Daniel Watson go um, when they've been on this defense has been really good, um, but they can't do everything. And that's, I think, where the biggest question is right now is, is who can help, who can step up whether it be on the defensive line and the secondary to provide some consistency and help those linebackers, um, you know, kind of shore up the defense a bit.
1: Sure. So, I mean, I know giving a prediction has never bit you in in the butt. It's never bit me one. We'll, we'll, we'll just save that though. So, you know, what is some of the uh, key things you're looking for in the game that if they happen, Mississippi state's going to have success on Saturday.
0: Uh, the number one thing has to be Mississippi state's offense coming out to a strong start. Whoever's that quarterback, they, they, they have to show, some kind of explosive explosiveness in the passing game and probably do so early to keep this Texas AM defense on its heels, because this AM defense is legit, especially up front. And you can't just assume that you're going to run the ball all over them, right? That, and state's been a good running team, um, but they don't don't have that complimentary passing game right now. So they, they got to make some shots down the field, uh, get the receivers involved a bit to, to, you know, give some stress to this A&M defense and maybe, you know, try to get the crowd out of it a little bit early on. And then defensively, the biggest thing is getting pressure, right? Whoever's in that quarterback for A&M, whether it be, you know, design blitzes or, you know, corners coming off or, or even just the guys, you know, with their, with their hand in the ground, they got to make some plays uh, in the backfield there and and get to the quarterback. Cause if if they don't do that um, there's not enough trust in the secondary right now. To think that you know Mississippi State can slow down A and M from what they did you know last week against Ole Miss.
1: Yeah, Texas A and M quarterbacks for the last three years have been gluttons for punishment, so always a chance to maybe get a shot in on a quarterback here and there when uh, when you come play A and M. Hey, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, before you go, let uh, can you let some people know where to find you on on uh, the social medias and where to find your work leading up to the game this weekend?
0: Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at s k r a j i s n i k three. And all our work is at clearandledger.com. We cover Mississippi State, Ole Miss. You know, keep up with all our coverage there. Uh, and thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to, like I said, I'm excited to get back to Kyle Field to cover this game. It's been a, a weird rivalry in the SEC. There's been some good games to, to come from this. And and oddly enough, you know, Mississippi State's had some success. So we'll see if uh, if that turns a bit and if AM can can, you know, I mean, they're pretty big favorites. So if, if, if it's not this year, then I don't know what it'll be.
1: <laughs> yeah, you make a good point. The, Mississippi State always is – a lot of times where like a and m season goes to die you yeah. know you can go back to 2016 and trevor knight getting hurt a week after right. they're in the college football playoff top four you had uh max johnson b- b- breaking his hand last year it, it always something always goes a little wonky when these yeah. two teams get together so uh you know hopefully on the injury front that that doesn't h- hurt anyone on either side but it, there's always lots of storylines that come out of this game
0: yeah yeah, yeah should be sure. a fun one, man. I'm looking forward to it.
1: There you go. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Eric, thanks, everybody, for watching. If you're watching on uh, eagle.com or if you're listening on the My Aggie Nation podcast, thank you so much. We'll be back again next week.
0: It seems like every day
1: Everything just has a way No way to must have seen. But if we don't watch what we're doing Our hearts will get ruined by silly things Good love ain't need girl we know that's true and if we wanna keep it we gotta watch everything that we do yeah. yeah. I wanna make sure my baby make sure you sticking with me don't wanna make sure